Hey guys, welcome to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Thanks for tuning in today. We're gonna try to keep up with two episodes a week and so far as we have the content to do so because we're continuing to grow our team of patrons at patreon.com forward slash unaborted, which enables us to increase the production value of the show, increase the number of episodes that we do and reach more people with these important ideas online. So if you haven't given the show a rating and review, go ahead and give us that on iTunes podcast, click five stars, let us know what you think. It really helps us reach more people. I told you recently that we climbed up into the top 65 in the news commentary category for podcasts nationwide. And that's really incredible. Very few pro-life podcasts make it into that news commentary section because it's the one issue no one wants to talk about. So do that for us. Thank you so much. We have a very special episode for you today. This was a conversation I got to have with Pastor Craig Roeders from Calvary Oro Valley in Tucson, um, Arizona. And we talk about a whole range of things uh, leading up to the election, which of course is still currently undecided. I think it will bless you and encourage you um, as more and more churches, pastors are rising up to the challenge to defend life, to defend liberty, and to put our faith into the public square. So enjoy this episode, and thanks for tuning in. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Calvary Conversations. My name is Mariah, and I'm here with Pastor Craig Roeders. What's up? Today, we have a very special guest. Our, our guest travels around the country, speaking at high schools, universities, and churches, defending the life of the unborn. Right. And with this upcoming election, we need to fight even harder to defend the life of the unborn. And also, we cannot be compromising on this issue of abortion. So without further ado, it's my honor and privilege to welcome Seth Gruber. Seth, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. We're so blessed to have you, especially right before the election. We are honored to be able to get you in time. And this is a very important issue we're going to be talking about. And But before we get started, Dad, would you like to pray for us? Yes. Okay. Father God, I just thank you so much for this time. And thank you that Seth made the time. I know he's very busy, but I just pray you'll bless him, Lord. And as your word says in Proverbs, that those who refresh others they themselves should be refreshed. So Lord, refresh him, bless him, use him mightily. Thank you for what little, what I've seen of him. I've been so encouraged mm -hmm. and just his boldness, speaking the truth in love, but yet so passionately. Lord, continue to use him. Just give him a greater anointing, enablement of your spirit just to reach so many people. And thank you for, uh, for um, Barrett getting on the Supreme Court. We're yes, so God. blessed by that. And uh, we just really want, like he was saying off camera about being in California, we just really want to, not give up, but to really keep fighting, Lord. You say, he who endures to the end shall be saved. And you talk about, uh, if, like Paul fought the good fight and finished the race. So Lord, give us strength, especially Seth as he's in such a battle because it's such a spiritual battle, but bless him, protect him and his family, and just thank you for his ministry. And we just commit this time to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All yeah. right. The first question is kind of a loaded question, but it, we just want to ask you, who are you and what do you do? So I'm the uh, West Coast Director for Life Training Institute. Uh, we're a national pro-life organization made of a small team of professional speakers. Um, and so I'm the West Coast Director. I'm the only one here on the West Coast, um, oh. which, uh, you know, certainly geographically and perhaps... Um, Weather-wise is the best coast, but uh, in any type of uh, spiritual or uh, cultural, um, you know, 
issue. It certainly isn't. I mean, our, our West Coast states have just gone to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. Um, all of the worst policies our country has seen tend to come out of California. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that started with no-fault divorce laws, transgender bathroom laws, some of the most rapidly pro-abortion laws in the country. Um, and now we just made uh, decrease the crimes for uh, registered sex offenders to not have to register in the sex offender database and leave that up to a judge to decide that. Uh-huh. So as it turns out, when you dehumanize life at one stage, you'll dehumanize it at another. And if you can't get the right to life right, you're going to get all the rest of them wrong as yeah. well. So that's the kind of culture, obviously, we're fighting in. So I go into Protestant and Catholic high schools, secular high schools, colleges, churches, youth groups conferences, debates on university campuses, and everything we do is to equip and train and raise up Christian leaders, lay people, and young people to be a voice for the unborn, to stand in the gap, to defend life, to be an ambassador for the unborn. Because one of the biggest problems in the church and on the issue of abortion is that the pro-life movement has never had the church on our side. And the church has gone out of its way to distance itself from the pro-life movement because we're not political. Mm -hmm. Well, to not be political is to be political. And that's, I mean, that's akin to Pilate doing this and saying, I'm just washing my hands of this, except you're not washing your hands in water. And so if you're washing them in the the blood of pre-born children whose blood doesn't run hot enough, for the very institution predisposed to protect the unborn to raise their voice against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're trying to win the minds of the next generation and convict Christian leaders to stand in the gap, to hold government to account, and to work to love our unborn neighbors mm-hmm. and their mothers and fathers. But that also has to deal with politics. We need to restore personhood and legal protections to the unborn. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do. But then we also make the case in the public square. So I do debates on university campuses. I speak to hostile audiences on secular university yeah. campuses um, and to try to win them over, to tr- try to create cognitive dissonance. Yeah. And then I also have a pro-life podcast called Unaborted with Seth Gruber, which is where you come to get discipled and trained to go out and be little pro-life ninjas. I mean, it's just a fire hose of pro-life information, and I create it for people to get equipped to kind of gear up, gird up their loins and enter the battlefield of abortion. So that's what I do. That's who I am. I'm married with a son about to turn three and uh, a a daughter in the womb who's due December 5th. So that's that's who we are. That's awesome. Yeah, it's when when you're talking about politics, you know, I mean, you speak at Calvary's of just how Calvary, like I think it was was Rob McCoy. Rob McCoy was talking about how Calvary with the hippies, you know, I was saving the hippie Jesus movement. But it's like that you just kind of stayed away from politics, Mm. you know, and don't talk. And he's saying how we kind of on our watch, and Billy Graham talked about, he didn't talk about uh, marriage, but, you know, homosexuality, and how that vacuum gets filled if we don't fill it. And so we don't want to be kind of all politics, right? But we want to, you know, right. we want to preach the gospel first, but really we, you know, it's like, you know, the separation of church and state, it was to keep the state out of the church, not the church out of the state. Mm-hmm. And if you go to Washington, right. you see Pocahontas being baptized, you see the, 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 what do you call it? The pilgrims coming with their Geneva Bible. And you see that in the Capitol dome. That's so right. we really, we really are, you know, based in Judeo-Christian, we weren't perfect, but to not, I'm realizing as I'm 58 years old, I'm realizing we really do need to get engaged because we are losing this culture right. because we're not speaking yep. the truth in love and not, and not That's willing, right. like you said, to teach people how to debate 
in a Christ-like way and That's to right. really present the facts because the facts really are there. I mean, you know, it's like, I forget, I don't know if it was you, I think it was you say that uh, you don't have to justify getting a tumor removed, but you, <laughs> but everyone has to justify, you know, freedom of choice. And I always love to mess with my liberal family where they would say, my aunt was part of the uh, now, you know, national organization women saying it's just oh, a, a fetus or just, you know, just a fetus, just fetal tissue. But then I don't forget how many years later they were fighting member in Beijing saying discrimination against women because they do the sonogram, see it's a woman, to board it. And I'm going, so I say to my, right. who's a professor at a university in Silver City, New Mexico, I said, so how did, is it something about the international dateline? It becomes a, a, a girl Maybe. that can be discriminated. And they're just like, ah, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. But really the yep. de debate, as you know better than us, is very winnable in, in logic and reason because Amen. like that's you right. said, if it is a life and you, you know yeah. that if you're honest. That's right. Exactly. Well, being a pro, being a pro-choice advocate today largely involves sticking your head fully in the sand and denying the existence of objective reality. Yeah. Um, that's really how you would describe the modern leftist movement and the pro-choice movement today. And that's been the goal of the left for their, for the entirety of its existence is to deny objective truth, suggest that all truths are merely personally contrived. Um, and so who are you to impose your morality on me? I invent my own reality. I'm my own God. Mm -hmm. um, and so therefore, whatever I, um, how, whatever actions I act out upon, right, whatever decisions I make, they're all for the betterment of me and my pleasure because I'm the ultimate end yeah. of man, of woman, um, with, that we are all that we're here. We're the peak of this creation. And so then might makes right. And whatever you can justify in your mind to uh, create a better life for yourself is perfectly justified. Yeah. And this is why ideas ideas have consequences. Yep. Yep. And, it so and it doesn't work because I think it was Richard Lamb, I heard him speak at FRC, and he was saying how the, the debate in 1973 was if you allow abortion, every child will be a wanted child and child abuse will go down. And now you've talked about this, but he says child abuse. I don't know if, it's, if you agree with this statistic. We said, but since 73, it's gone up 400%. So it's like he said, if we can kill you in the womb, mm. why can't we kill you out of the womb? Yeah. And so it's like, you've cheapened life as you know. Yep. And so it's like, right. it doesn't, so even their reasoning doesn't work because now you have the very thing they were trying to justify it is yep. uh, undone. Yeah. And so we want to ask you, because we do want to get into the political thing, like even though we're a church and everyone's like, oh, I can't believe you talk <laughs> about Trump and like why you should vote for him. And we're like, but there's reason. So we want you to talk about that. But first, we just have exciting news, right? Amy Coney, um, I always say, I used Barrett. to say Barrett, <laughs> but I know it's Barrett, but he always yeah, makes yeah, fun Barrett. of me. But um, so we want to know what you think about her getting in and also why does the left hate her so much? That's right. Yeah. A Amy Coney Barrett is, is seemingly an incredible woman from all that we know. She's a Catholic uh, mom of seven, uh, two of whom she adopted from Haiti. Um, she's had a, a long, loving marriage. It seems to have been a faithful marriage. <clears throat> she seems to have uh, children who love her and respect her. Um, and she's been incredibly accomplished. And that's exactly why the left hates yeah. her, because they she doesn't fit into their victim yeah. boxes. Yeah. She doesn't fit into their ideological boxes that they... Um, compartmentalize life into in order to demonize those they hate um, and deify those they love. Um, and so the left hates Amy Barrett, one, because of the threat she poses to abortion, and we'll get to that in a second, but also because they don't, they don't know um, what box to put her yeah. into. Because we've been told that if, if you're a woman, you can have it all. Mm -hmm. You can have it all. Except what they typically mean by that is uh, 
unless your children pose a threat to you having it all, then you should kill them in the womb. Now, of course, they'll never say that outside the womb. It's interesting. The right to kill unborn, the right to kill humans, according to the left, should only be confined to the womb. Mm. But once you break down the argument, there's no reason why the right to kill human beings should be confined to the womb, because the six-inch birth canal doesn't confer personhood. Right. There's no fetus fairy sprinkling magical personhood conferring fairy dust on the child as parts of the limbs leave the vaginal canal. I mean, this is blatantly ridiculous. So they can't explain why the right to kill human beings should be confined to the womb. They're just going to assume that it should. So they're not going to never tell a feminist that that you should kill your toddlers to pursue your career just as long as that toddler was still in your womb. But that's what they tell women. They say you can have it all. Right. You should be able to have you should be able to have a family and you should be able to work. I mean, this was the idea sort of of at least first wave feminism, which no one disagrees with. First wave feminism just says women should have equal civil rights to men. Uh, once you lump abortion in there, then obviously there's no civil rights for the unborn, at which point feminist feminism makes no sense because you're denying feminist rights to unborn women. Yep. But nobody has a problem with first wave feminism. Mm. Of course, women are equally valuable to men yep. and they should be able to pursue all the same opportunities that they want. But most women can't do that. To the level that Amy Barrett has, with the number of children that she has, with a husband who's happy with her, with a happy marriage, a happy uh, family, about to be nominated to the highest court in the land and one of the most successful achievements that a female can make in America. They don't fit into her boxes because she just destroyed their narrative, which (laughs) is that women, if you want to be successful, you might have to kill some of your own unborn children. Mm. You might have to practice reproductive health care. And she's saying, no, I didn't do that. I didn't kill my children. I had five biological. I adopted two more out of my spiritual responsibility to love the orphan. And I freaking killed it in my academic life, Mm -hmm. in my career life. And she's not from an Ivy League school. They they hate her. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's the first reason they hate her. The second reason is is, it's all about abortion, you guys. Um, Not only does abortion literally poison babies through the abortion pill, but abortion has poisoned our politics as well because it's made all political discussions, which previously we could have had in a rational, respectful manner with people of good faith who believed in the founding ideals of this country, it's taken those debates and it's taken, it's it destroyed those debates in the public square mm-hmm. because now we can't even agree on first principles. What do I mean by this? Democrats in the 1950s, guys, would have been registered Republicans today, oh, make yeah. no doubt JFK about it. JFK would have been a great there was, president. Oh, that's right. Registered Democrats in the 1950s would be MAGA Republicans yeah. today. Mm-hmm. And I like, I, that's not an overstatement. Yeah. Okay? I like that's what, not, I like that's what not, uh, sorry, but I like what, uh, um, what Reagan said. I didn't leave the democratic party. The democratic party yep. left me. That's cool. That's yeah. right. Yep. So. And my dad said that that's exactly how his, my grandparents felt, um, as they were seeing the radicalization of the democratic party. And that's how, that's how many people feel today. So, so yeah, so, so Democrats in the 1950s were largely pro-life. Mm-hmm. They were largely pro-family. I mean, even in 2008, mm-hmm. 2010, we have Barack Obama saying that marriage should be the union of one man and one woman. Yeah. I guess he's a bigot, according to the <laughs> left. So, so, because Democrats, yeah. and excuse me speaking so freely, but Democrats are kind of just like farts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They blow where the wind goes <laughs> and wherever they end. That's wherever they You're end. my kind of guy. I like this, bro. Oh, be back. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, this is just what Joe Biden said his entire political career. Yeah. Where's the wind blowing? Well, Clinton used to say, let me, let me take the poll and see what I should think. You know, you'd never have original <laughs> thought. I love it. I, I love what you said, like about, uh, about one at all, where I love where uh, someone was joking about, I don't know if it was Charlie Kirk, but he's joking about Harris said, these AK 47s are killing our babies. They're killing our babies. You go, Oh, she's pro-life now. You know? So it's like, like you said, like out of the womb, it's terrible, <laughs> yeah. but in the womb, free game, you know, you could. 
You can yeah, I know. Care. Sometimes you have to wonder if there's like a troll, uh, a pro-life troll running the Twitter of Kamala Harris or Planned Parenthood or these other institutions, mm-hmm. because we see this over and over again. We see these hilarious cognitive dissonance, contradictory statements being made by radically pro-abortion people. And you're like, how do you not see the contradiction yeah. between that and your yeah, support for abortion? Blinded, right? So mean, sometimes I think there's a pro-life troll who's like <laughs> jumping on the Twitter feed. But um, anyway, but that's the great conservative consolation, right? Reality always reasserts itself in the end. Exactly. Um, reality has a tendency of crawling out of the cave that modern leftists have buried it into and slapping them in the face because reality demands to be acknowledged. And if you're not living in an echo chamber and you're not addicted to confirmation bias, then you will probably recognize reality for the self-evident friend that he is, and you should welcome him back into your home. But going back to what I was saying, yes, Democrats in the 1950s, they were largely pro-life and they would have been MAGA Republicans today. But we've seen this radicalization of that party as they've embraced abortion. So what has that done to our politics? It's poisoned our politics yeah. because we can't agree on first principles, right? This, this country was founded on the, idea, on the ideas of natural rights, mm-hmm. that rights don't come from government. Rather, government's job is to recognize and protect natural rights, which, which have their source in God. I mean, even if not all of our founders were born again, mm-hmm. they were all theists. Yep. They were all theists that they believed mm-hmm. that rights came from God. And that was really the only philosophical foundation um, to defend the idea of natural rights, because if there isn't an all-powerful deity, all good, all loving, all perfect, all powerful, who made everything, who is the objective standard for right and wrong, then who do you appeal to to persuade others to respect rights that you claim are objective? If they don't come from an objective being, then they're not objective. And, and then at that point, might makes right. And we have too many examples of the, pro- of, of, of the many dead human beings um, that become the consequences of those types of ideas when politicians take political power to shape culture around their own ends. Mm. And so because abortion has become the, because our politics have become all about abortion, mm. it's made reasonable dialogue and conversation nearly impossible. Mm. So you get this woman who 1950s, 1960s, 1970s Democrats would have been mm-hmm. fawning over. Mm-hmm. They would have loved Amy Coney Barrett, yeah. um, but they hate her mm. because She says she's a textualist. She says she's an originalist. And what does that mean? It means that you treat the Constitution in the way that Christians treat the Bible, as not divinely inspired, but as not contradictory with Scripture either, because Scripture provides a theological foundation for the philosophical concepts in our founding documents. So they read the Constitution and our founding documents in the way that we read the Bible, which was, what did this mean in this context? What is its original meaning? Um, and we don't we don't read in our hermeneutic into the Bible unless you're a woke Christian progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, uh, like we have too many examples of right now in their deconversion stories. They're reading their theology into Scripture rather than putting themselves under the Word Amen. of God. Well, that's what that's how an originalist treats the Constitution. They put themselves under the Constitution interpret it for what it meant in its context and they don't they don't read in fictional rights to gay marriage or uh, or abortions uh, somewhere in the penumbras somewhere in there I don't know it's under the right to privacy or yeah. something like that um, they're saying that was the so least out they, of the three branches that should be the one that has the least amount of power right like you're saying because it was just right. to interpret the law not to make law Yep. Well, it, it should be really the only branch that is actually not political. Mm-hmm. Uh, strictly but yet they want to make it, it right. It, 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 it's interesting yeah. that the left has kind of redefined yeah. the term packing the courts recently. Yeah. Don't you like that, uh, Biden? We're going to just do a, a 180 day, you know, we're going to get all kinds of people to reset. I'm like, dude, you know yeah. what you're going to do. You're going to mm-hmm. pack it. You know? 
Well, they literally said they're, they're redefining what it means to back the court. I mean, this is what the left always says. They redefine words and meetings in order to persuade the public yeah. that what they support is actually not that bad. Yeah. So tearing the limbs off of preborn image bearers is actually just reproductive justice. Mm. But now they're saying that packing the courts is it's depoliticizing the court. <laughs> that's, that's what they're calling yeah. packing the courts now. Yeah. But in a way, they actually have it right because a true uh, uh, the judicial branch actually should be depoliticized mm. because judges should not be partisan. Mm. Judges shouldn't even rule in such a way that that would be Republican or yeah. Democrat because they're just supposed to interpret the Constitution. So you could be a flaming leftist, right? Or you could be, um, I mean, you could be a MAGA Republican. Either way, you should not be pre-committing to any type of decisions yeah. on any type of cases. And, Barrett, and sometimes conservatives don't like to hear that because they want to yeah. know that Barrett will pre-commit to overturn Roe. And, and I understand what they're saying because like, it's, it's such a stain on our country in the same way that we would hope that a judge would pre-commit to overturn Dred v. Scott. Mm-hmm. So I understand that in a larger scheme, in a larger scale, they ought to just be looking at the law, mm-hmm. looking at our constitution, and, oh, Okay, well, you're you're claiming that birth control is a human right. Yeah, that's not the Constitution, yeah. and you you can't read it into the privacy clause. Yeah. You can't read it into if it's not there. It's not there. That's their only job. So why do they hate that? Why are they so afraid of that? Because they know there's no constitutional right to an abortion. Yeah. Oh, the quiet part out loud. That's why they're so afraid because they know that there is not a right to an abortion in the Constitution. So when a judge says, "I'm an originalist," the leftist and Democrats, which basically have been taken over by leftists today, their blinkers go off and they go, oh, shoot. Yeah, oh, shoot. Stop, they, messes up. They're an original. Yeah. That means that they know that there's no fictional right to an abortion in the Constitution, which means they might judge in a way that's pro-life. And so now you're threatening the left's greatest sacrament, yep. which is abortion. Yep, that's yeah. true. And they're trying to, what they can't pass in Congress or Senate, they pass in the, in, in the, in the Supreme Court. That's their goal. That's so. right. Yep. Yeah. And then we also want to talk about, because like what you're saying, my dad always says that um, it is on the pastor's watch because the churches, we're the ones that are supposed to be speaking up against these things. And we've kind of like pushed ourselves. My dad always says they're pushing, they're coming out of the closet, right? Like saying I'm a homosexual or even now saying I'm a homosexual Christian and all this, but then they're pushing us in like, you guys have to shut up. You can't say anything. And we've seen that in pastors. We've seen it with Tim Keller, John Piper. So what would you say to those pastors who say, no, abortion, you know, it's not a black and white issue. It's like a gray area. So <laughs> can't really get into that. What would you say to those pastors? Get safe. <laughs> oh, yeah, those pastors need to step down. Yeah. yeah. They need to step down from their pulpit. If you say that the, the, the limb tearing um, of the limb removal with forceps of preborn image bearers created in the image of the prenatal Christ who himself entered human history in a womb, mm-hmm. then you need to step down yeah. from your, your pastorate. If you can't get the right to life right, I don't trust you on anything mm-hmm. else. Amen. We're told that Christ identified with us, right? That he put on human flesh. Mm-hmm. He was fully God and fully man, right? We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, mm-hmm. but was tested in all ways that we were, yet without sin. Well, then the question becomes, how did this high priest identify with us. Mm-hmm. He took on fetal flesh. Mm-hmm. He entered human history in a womb that he created, for goodness mm-hmm. sake, and became a fetus to identify with us at our most vulnerable stage. So if Roe versus Wade had been in, enforced in the first century, Mary would have checked all of the Planned Parenthood prospect checkboxes mm-hmm. 
unmarried yep. teenager, no financial stability with a boyfriend threatening to leave her. Mm-hmm. And Planned Parenthood would have been preying on the mother of Christ mm-hmm. to abort the prenatal Christ. Wow, and cool. I guess Tim Keller would stand there in the first century mm-hmm. and say, you have liberty of conscience to vote however you want. Because even though one party is promoting the dismemberment of the prenatal Christ and calling it reproductive health care, um, actually, because the Bible doesn't tell us the best way to make it illegal to dismember the prenatal Christ, therefore you have freedom to vote however you want. That would be disgusting, immoral, and evil. Now, these pastors would never say, oh, no, I, I would stay silent on aborting the prenatal Christ. Well, then why are you staying silent on aborting babies created in the image of the prenatal Christ? Okay, and then and then scripture tells us that human beings are created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And when do we become human? The moment of conception. Mm-hmm. When did Christ become human? The moment of conception. So if we're created in the image of God, then all human beings bear intrinsic dignity, value, and worth from the moment they become human. Mm-hmm. So if unborn children have the equal dignity and value that the prenatal Christ did in the mo at the moment of his conception then how can pastors who tell us that they would condemn the abortion of the prenatal Christ in the first century not condemn the abortion of babies in the 21st century who are also created in his image and therefore have equal intrinsic dignity and value? It's scandalous. And you know, know too, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know, like the story you've probably heard of Beethoven, I think, you know, all the children that were like died and, you know, stillborn, uh, deaf, blind. And they said, would you abort? I think it was like the 12th or something. And you said you would have just aborted Beethoven. You know what I mean? So it's just think of how many people we've lost through abortion, right. mm-hmm. you know, Spurgeons, right. you know, great men and women of God. And, totally. you know, just crazy. And we'll, well, I mean, we'll really never know. You know, I, I stay away from, from that a little bit myself because I, I don't want to grant the left's premise, which is that we're valuable because of what we contribute. Mm. But I mean, but you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying it's just, yeah, 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 you don't definitely. realize, because you know, say, you know, there used to be a population explosion when I was a kid, and we're not gonna be able to feed everyone, and yet that's not true, you know, Mm-mm. so. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, so, so that what I would tell Tim Keller, as I, as I you know, I, I tried to, to graciously um, <laughs> sort of lay into him at, at Chino Hills, <laughs> but um, you know, the, Tim Keller, the reason why this is so scandalous with him in particular, you guys, is because Tim Keller has written in previous writings, uh, particularly a famous New York Times article written in 2018 called How Do Christians Fit Into a Two-Party System? They Don't. And in that article, he he kind of rips into Christians in the 1850s hmm. who refused to act politically to end slavery and to protect their black brothers and wow. sisters. You guys actually says in that article, you ready? He says that um, he's not, he actually didn't even make the argument that it was, he wasn't ripping them for voting for Democrats. He was laying into them for opting out of the political process mm. in the 1850s. Wow. So he says that in doing that, in choosing the position of political neutrality on the question of slavery in the 1850s, Christians were, and I quote, supporting the social status quo. Mm. And what was the social status quo? Racism and slavery, yeah. right? And then he says to not be political is to be political. Okay, wow, this is wild. Mm. This is crazy. Can you see the contradictions? I mean, like, how does someone as smart and in love with Christ as Tim Keller not see the blatant bigotry, mm-hmm. the soft bigotry that he has absorbed? And I know people get very mad when I start throwing around the word bigotry when describing someone, you know, as wonderful as Tim Keller. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they think that I'm I'm somehow being unchristian by saying that. But what is bigotry? Bigotry is discriminating mm-hmm. against someone else for being different. Mm-hmm 
or based off of characteristics they have no control over. So, Pastor, if I judge you for, I don't know, you know, drinking or sleeping around, of course, you know, God forbid, that's not bigotry because those are decisions you would have made and we're accountable for the decisions we make, Mm -hmm. right? But if you were to discriminate against me because I'm white or because (laughs) I'm a male, that's bigotry. That's discrimination because I have no control over my gender or my skin color. So we understand that's what bigotry is. So people discriminate against who discriminate against the unborn are bigots because they say we can kill them. But that's kind of a hard bigotry. But Tim Keller says, I, he says, I believe abortion's wrong. I believe the unborn child is an image bearer of God with value, but I don't believe they deserve legal protections. Mm. Yeah. And I'm not going to tell my from my pulpit, I'm not going to tell Christians that they have a political duty to use their political voice to protect the unborn. But he didn't say that about slavery. In fact, he said Christians who didn't pick up those political tools and vote in such a way to end slavery, and what what did voting to end slavery in the 1850s mean? It meant voting Republican. (laughs) He says that those who didn't do that were supporting the social status quo, and he says that that was morally wrong, that they were sinning by doing that. But far from telling Christians today that they're sinning by opting out of the political process to protect the unborn, or worse yet, voting for the party responsible for prenatal genocide, far from saying that, he baits and switches and says, actually, you have freedom, and I quote, liberty of conscience, he said, to do whatever you want politically. So let me get this straight, Pastor Tim. Black, Our black brothers and sisters in the 1850s deserved legal protections, and Christians had a spiritual mandate to restore legal protections to the black brothers and sisters in our lives through politics. Mm-hmm. Okay, but on abortion, Unborn children do not deserve legal protections, and Christians do not have the political duty to vote in such a way that restores their legal protections. That's soft bigotry. That's saying that the blood of unborn children doesn't run deep enough or hot enough to warrant your political intervention. And you know, it's too, it's like, you know this probably, I mean, uh, George or Peter Muhlenberg, I don't know if you know about him, but he was the guy who like kind of... uh, where the movie Patriot, where the pastor goes and fights with him. But he, there's a statue used to be right in when you go in the Capitol dome and he has a robe, he's pulling off his black robe. You know, you heard of the black robe regiment, but he's pulling off his robe and he has a continental army uniform and he pulls out a sword and he says, we need to fight for freedom. Well, his brother, I forget his brother's name. Now he was in New York and he said, you can't be political. This is, you know, this is, you know, 1700s. You can't be political. And then his church got burned down by the English. <laughs> and then he goes, okay. And they both became colonels in the Continental Army and fought for our freedom. Yeah. But that's the way yeah. pastors, I don't know if you want to talk about that, but yeah. it's like without dog, I am a pastor, so you can yeah. dog it. But it's like we used to be the political yeah. force Fighters. and we used to be the ones yeah. that would say speak yeah. on the issues biblically right our, right as you know our constitution is one person said it's as close to the bible as you can be mm-hmm. you know because it was founded right. on uh, judeo-christian principles of the mosaic law yeah. and now we're like we believe ever since the uh what johnson amendment that we have to shut up and it's like no yeah. you know we need to speak yeah, up the, and, and right. because we've been quiet so is that kind of what you think i mean what do you think this is yeah, is it fear of man or yeah. why are, yeah, are these pastors that, that know the, better the, being such hypocrites yeah the political abdication of duty of shepherds is scandalous Mm -hmm. um, because you literally have the abortion of lambs happening and you can't raise your voice from your pulpit to protect them francis schaefer once said that every abortion clinic ought to have a sign out front that says open with the permission of the church of jesus Mm -hmm. christ and that's exactly right because you guys who else is going to hold government to account Mm -hmm. is cancel culture going to hold government (laughs) to account yeah right are our universities going to hold cancel culture to 
uh, going to hold uh, government to account? Is Black Lives Matter Incorporated going to hold government to account? No, of course not. It's only the church, right? Yeah. You remember what de Tocqueville said when he visited yeah. America? He said, I looked for America's greatness in her wide rivers and her, and her, and her beautiful Congress and all of these wonderful ways, but I didn't find it there. I found it in her pulpits yeah. ablaze with the fire of the gospel. Yeah. Because it was, you know, it, I mean, it was the Great Awakening mm-hmm. that helped shape this country yeah. and provided the sort of the theological soil Amen. for the ideals of this republic, mm-hmm. which again are founded on natural rights that, that recognize their source in God. And so it's very interesting that pastors and churches who will preach stewardship mm-hmm. on a whole range of things have nothing to say on political stewardship mm-hmm. in a constitutional republic that's the most exceptional in all of human history mm-hmm. because political power goes into the hands of we the people mm-hmm. who determine self-government and who will rule us. Mm-hmm. Are we going to have tyrannical yeah. um, to fear people us, who hate right? Christians? Who are going to rule us, or are we going to have people who, regardless of whether they're Christians or not, recognize their only job description, which is to protect life, liberty, and property? That's all politics is. Politics is the art of the possible. How are we going to shape this republic? How are we going to live together? And who will rule us? And it it is, I mean, it is, (laughs) ironic is not even the right word, (laughs) because that's just too soft of a word. It is is borderline insane that you have groups like pro-life evangelicals for Biden. Yeah, you know, which actually, did you hear about the other group, um, Fiscal Conservatives for Karl Marx? Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, not. did you hear about Christian abolitionists for yeah. Stephen Douglas? Yeah. I mean, these would be the silliest things or, to say. Or did you now, hear about the Christians against Christ? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Right? It's wild. Yeah. I mean, no other group would ever insinuate that you could vote for a person or institution um, whose entire existence was built around exterminating the people that you say you love. Yeah. I mean, it's just wild. Like being pro-life means you oppose abortion and you support legal protections being restored to the unborn. Yeah. And then so Proverbs 31, protect and those. Harris, that's right. Yeah, They're the most be. radical pro-abortion ticket in American political yeah. history. Um, and so these people are not pro-life, first of all. Yeah. These pro-life evangelicals for Biden or other Christians who say they're pro-life, but they're voting for Biden. They're not pro-life. They're, they're no friend of the unborn. In fact, they're enemies of the unborn. Yeah. Just like Stephen Douglas was an enemy of our black brothers and sisters when he said, I'm personally against slavery. I would never purchase black human beings and treat them like cattle. But I support the right of each state to vote slavery up or down, meaning I support federalism, each state's right to determine whether they're going to purchase image bearers of God and treat them like cows or not. Mm. Well, that was not an abolitionist sentiment. That was not an anti-slavery sentiment. That was a deeply racist position. Uh, And it's the same type of position that that pro-lifers for Biden hold or Christians who say they're pro-life but are voting for the Democratic Party hold today. But it's just a fundamental misunderstanding of our civic duty. Somehow you hear Christians saying, and pastors write, um, I'm going to compromise my witness. I can't vote for President Trump because then the pagans and the lost that I'm trying to reach for Christ, they're not going to hear that gospel. It's going to fall on deaf ears if they learned that I voted for President Trump. But that assumes a couple things. Firstly, it assumes that the vitriol and hatred for President Trump have um, purely to do with his character, mm. right? Because because the people who hate Trump so much, typically, right, typically they're leftists who hate God. Yeah. And so the Christians, some that I know and you know, they say things like this, like, like, look at the immoral man he is. Look how much hatred there is towards him. If I attach myself through my vote 
to someone of this caliber of character or lack thereof, Mm -hmm. I'm compromising my witness. But that assumes that the only reason the left hates him is character. Mm -hmm. I'm not convinced of that. I think it has to do more with policy. In fact, I think that if Mike Pence were president, a soft-spoken, loving man that no one can hate, (laughs) except if you're a leftist, would actually have equal levels of vitriol. Mm -hmm. Because he'd be supporting pro-life policies, which, again, uh, uh, compromises the less greatest sacrament. So I'm not even convinced that it has purely to do with Trump's character. And if I'm right in that assessment, and they would hate Pence in the same way if Pence were president, then the question would become for our other Christian brothers and sisters who say this, would you vote for Pence because of his policies? Because you couldn't. You couldn't say that you couldn't vote for him mm-hmm. because of his personality, which is wonderfully kind and loving. Yeah. And if they still say no, then really what they're saying is they won't do anything to promote righteousness if their vote would upset pagans. Yeah. And if that's true, then just stop preaching the gospel because the gospel upsets those who are yep. who are lost. What does Paul say? It's an offense to those who to are lost. Yeah. Like. So to who are perishing. So just don't preach the gospel, okay? Just call yourself a universalist, yeah, relativistic exactly. pagan church yeah. because in preaching the gospel, you might offend people. Yep, you so will. you might drive them away from the very gospel that they have to hear, but hearing that gospel presupposes being offended because it tells you that there's nothing you can yeah. do to save yourself. A service you not greater than his master. If they hated me, they'll hate you. Wild. Amen. Wild. Amen. So these people uh, don't really care about the gospel all that yeah. much because it's an offensive message and you're always going to have to offend someone and they certainly don't care about the end. Yeah. I, love, I love two things that you made me think is that I love how uh, Greg Gutfeld from The Five said, he goes, you guys are trying to impeach Trump. Do you think Pence is going to be any better? Do you think he's going to be any less conservative than, than right. Trump? Are you kidding me? So it's just funny to prove your point. But also, I love that my liberal family that is pro, you know, loved, you know, loves Obama, loved Clinton. But I remember when Clinton was with Monica Lewinsky scandal, mm. he said, what he does in his bedroom is none of your business. And I go, it wasn't his bedroom, it was the Oval Office. They go, that still doesn't matter. He's great policy. It isn't amazing. But yet my same family had the nerve to say, how can you vote for Trump? And I go, lesser of two evils. And this is before we knew him, this is before he was elected. But I said, I go, look, I said, yes, he did. Yes, he did. He have a a hooker. Yes, I said, he wouldn't be an elder. He wouldn't, I wouldn't have him babysit my little girls. But I said, he, we're voting for policy. And I said, look at this. Clinton forced women to have sex with them, right? They didn't love it. They all stood right before his he was his speech, you know. Yeah, yeah, but I yeah. said, and she defended it. So it's even double hypocrisy. I said, and yeah. you know, yeah, but and cause Stormy Daniels even said, Well, I really like Trump. He's a really nice guy. So I mean, you know what I mean? And so yeah. it's just so convoluted, and you're like going, the hypocrisy knows no bounds. Ever watch Tombstone? That's right. You know, Doctor, I'm going, you here you get on me when I was going, hey, what's the deal with Clinton? Here he is with a girl who's half his that's age, right. but then now they're all of a sudden sanctimonious that's right. that's, that trumps that's, the that's devil. Because, that's because these people only care about personal character when it's politically expedient to care about personal yeah. character. And these people who say that they're pro-life and they're Christian, but they're voting for Biden or they're not going to vote. Actually, John Piper wasn't clear whether he was going to vote for Biden or not vote at all. Um, that, that piece was, that article. Yeah, was can you talk about that? Yeah. Because I just, it, that was, it was just, so confusing that to was me. A, that was a big linguistic suit. Yeah. He just used a bunch of smart sounding words to not be clear at all. Mm. Um, and if you're not tuned into political realities, you wouldn't have even known what he was mm. saying. Now, I'm tuned into those political realities, so I see where the argument leads and it doesn't lead to a good place. Well, what, uh, what but, I, but if you're not aware of what he's saying, mm. It's very confusing. It's like, bro, what are you saying? What's the case you're trying to make here? And basically, this is what he says. Maybe pride is morally equivalent to killing a million babies a year. 
That was basically the premise. And of then the he article. also said he, he said, said he's, he's killing people because of all the you know the disunity. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm going, yeah, but, you know, okay, is pride wrong? But pride pride doesn't literally kill people or my, you know, but he's saying it's all right, so it's equal. And I'm like, my goodness, it was yeah, so he's confusing. Saying, like, pride, he's saying pride, like, ultimately leads to death. And pride is sort of the um, the prerequisite sin to abortion. Yeah. And so, therefore, that's kind of morally equivalent. I mean, this is scandalous. Yeah. Listen, we, we are always going to elect a sinner who has fallen far exactly. short of the glory of God. And if God could use Samson, who God yep. called yep. two different times exactly. in bed with prostitutes, or King David, or who's like peeping Tom on his roof rather than leading his army, impregnating women and then murdering their husbands, but then he can be a man after God's own heart, then God can use anyone. Amen. God uses kings throughout the Old Testament who are actually not friends of God. No. They don't follow God, yeah. but God uses them to accomplish righteousness in the culture anyways. So Christians who, who have this obsession with Trump's character as a disqualifying factor in their vote um, either don't read their Bible yeah. or they selectively read it and, and uh, filter out anything that might demand personal responsibility in the culture to be salt and light. Amen. We're not electing a pastor. We're not electing a spiritual leader. We're not, as Jack Hibbs says, Jesus Christ is not coming in on Air Force One. <laughs> so you need to determine what kind of culture you want through self-governance. Yeah. And so the silly idea in Piper's article is, is that, um, is that all sin's kind of equal, mm. and if we attach ourselves to sinful people, it might compromise our witness. Um, and so it's just a fundamental misunderstanding of civic duty, yeah. um, because there, there's a there's a vast difference between our spiritual command from Scripture to save souls in the Great Commission, and then our simple civic duty to promote righteousness within the culture. Our vote ought to be used in such a way that promotes righteousness and restrains evil Amen. insofar as we can, given current political realities, mm -hmm. because you're not going to have a perfect choice. So continue preaching the gospel, continue being faithful, but also support policies that are going to enable you to preach that gospel. I mean, yeah, like, you know, support policies that are going to love your neighbor, yeah. love the unborn neighbors who are being killed. Um, and so these these people who who cannot vote for him or they're saying I'm voting for Biden because, mm. you know, I love my neighbor and the Democratic Party does a better job mm. on other life issues. They misunderstand why abortion's wrong. They conflate um, intrinsic evils with contingent evils. Mm. What do I mean by that? Abortion is an intrinsic evil because it's wrong in and of itself. Just by committing it, it's wrong. It's morally wrong. There's no justification for it. You're killing little babies, little human beings. That's an intrinsic evil. Slavery is an intrinsic evil. Beating your wife is an intrinsic evil. Killing your toddlers, these are intrinsic evils. Poverty is not an intrinsic evil, mm. right? None of us would go up to a homeless man or woman on the street, right, guys? And we would never say, you sinner. <laughs> I mean, that would be a really nasty thing to say, right? That would be a really horrific thing to say because they're not sinning. So poverty might be a contingent evil because it might be a result of other moral evils, but it's not in and of itself an intrinsic evil. Does that make yeah. sense? There's plenty of other examples of this, but the Democratic Party, they claim their big pitch, right, is that we're going to prevent contingent evil. So we're going to prevent poverty. We're going to prevent, um, you know, uh, systemic racism, even though we can't name the policy on the book that systemically discriminates against others except white people and Asian through affirmative action. Mm -hmm. We're going to prevent, um, you know, 
uh, pay discrimination against women, even though that's kind of a myth as well. Yeah. We're going to we're going to prevent employers from underpaying their employees by doing a $15 nationwide minimum wage requirement. Um, so all of their policies, exactly right. They don't even understand basic economics, yeah. but everything that they do their pitches around preventing contingent evils. Hmm. So listen to this. Okay. This is very important. These modern woke leftists who say they're Christian and pro-life and won't vote for Trump. In fact, they're voting for Biden. Mm. They're asking us to overlook intrinsic evils, mm. to even allow intrinsic evils in order to prevent contingent evils. Mm. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. We're supposed to overlook the slaughter of a million innocent human beings every year, sanctioned by the government and funded by my tax dollars, in order to give universal health care to people? Yeah. So they conflate protection of life in the womb with quality of life outside the womb. Anyone who insinuates that babies are an acceptable sacrifice yeah. on improving your quality of life as a born person is a deeply immoral individual who ought not be trusted with political power. Yeah. Because you're basically saying that you're all that matters and improving your life and living more cush and comfortable that's all that matters. And if I have to slaughter a few million babies on the mm. way to that, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. A nation that slaughters its own innocent citizens is going to get nearly every other issue wrong. Yeah. And that's why we continue to see the rest of our natural rights deteriorate when we denied the natural right to life to a, to a million humans a year in 1973. Actually, at that time, it was like 1.6 million abortions a year. So mm. when if you deny the right to life, the most fundamental right upon which all the other rights are based in our founding documents, if you deny that right to 63 million innocent human beings every year how can we expect you to protect any other rights yep. that flow from the first and most important of all rights if you can't get the right to life right you're not going to get any other rights right and right. now we're watching it play out in real time yeah. Yeah. governors yeah. and mayors their draconian policies are ignoring our natural rights to property and to liberty yeah. because they ignore the natural right to life exactly. and, and like you know beto o'rourke in texas said uh, who's going to be on Biden's team said, if, uh, if people don't embrace the, if churches don't embrace the, the homosexual, the homosexual community, then therefore 5013 C status will be taken C3. away. C3. I'm sorry. I say, you know, they're tax exempt and, and to a standing ovation. Mm. So that's, what's coming is to silence our voice. And, you know, as we move, I think it was Marx who said, as we move to a social, you know, socialism that we have to get rid of the church, the government mm. is the only voice. Right, so yep. we need to know that. I mean, that's you're right. going to, you're basically silencing yourself. Yep. If you vote, because they for these, know that know. the church are the ones who recognize where rights come from, yeah. and they can't have those pesky people running around <laughs> trying to instill a sense of liberty and offer drinks of liberty to people who they're trying to indoctrinate yeah. with the belief that rights come from government and big daddy is going to sit up here and we're going to grant you rights or deny them to you. And we're going to then promise to protect the rights that we've invented through positive mm. law. And they can't have churches running around mm. saying rights don't come from you, DC. Rights come from God, and your right is to recognize and protect them. That might run counter to the goals yeah. of the left. Yeah. 
Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and conversation. Uh, listen, we want to begin, continue bringing you conversations and content with pastors and leaders, people in the church, people on the front lines of defending life. And regardless of how this election turns out, the pro-life movement is either going to get propelled forward considerably with more opportunities to protect life and end abortion, or the unborn child will be endangered like no other time in American history and pro-lifers who seek to protect the unborn will be targeted like no other time in our history. And so we want to create a place and a space for you, your friends, your co-workers, your family members can come and get equipped and encouraged to defend life and be given the tools that they need to do so. So if you want to help us bring that kind of content, equip the church, equip the pro-life movement and young people to articulate these ideas and stand in the gap, then consider becoming a patron of the show. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. Check out our cool tiers and perks that you'll get for supporting this show. Um, more access to me, fun conversations together, exclusive videos and a whole lot more. So go to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. Prayerfully consider supporting us on a monthly basis. Thanks so much and stay tuned. We just need to i mean all it is is also just reading the bible because in calvary we go verse by verse we don't pick and choose and sugarcoat and so i would like you to share about that because you keep saying love your neighbor for those who don't know we'll encourage them to you know listen to your podcast unaborted but what do you mean when you say love your neighbor we know that's in luke 10 but we also want you to share there's a proverbs 31 8 and then there's also just psalm 139 if you just read that i just cry because it's just like it's so clear so obvious. So it can you share the me. biblical reason? It is beyond me, Mariah, how people who say they love Jesus and are Christians can read their Bible and still vote for the Democratic yeah. Party. It is wild to me. And you know what? I know a lot of these people because I went to a ridiculously progressive Christian college called Westmont College. Mm. I didn't know it at the time when I got there, but it's one of the most progressive Christian colleges in the country right now. Oh, is that the one um, up in Santa Barbara? That's right. That's yeah. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. They hire has the, all the original. Uh, I forget the artist. Uh, who's the guy who does all the posters, calendar? Yeah, anyway, I've been there. Yeah, yeah, it's really yeah, it's got in the woods. Have, it's really beautiful. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. So they hire pro-abortion professors. Wow. They don't take a position on abortion. Um, and I was the president of the first and only pro-life club there. Mm. Um, and I was the president of that club for all four years. Wow. Um, and it's just it's just a ridiculous college. And so I've watched so many people that I graduated with. Who, by the way, when we came in as freshmen, they were all conservative Christians from conservative Christian mm. families, and they left. And more than half of them, I'd say, by the time we graduated, were Christian leftists. Mm. Yep. Whatever that yep. means, you know, take that. Whatever thing. that means. Um, and then a bunch of professors, other people I even looked up to before I got to really know their beliefs on things. Um, for, you know, one one couple that I actually respected a lot when I was there, um, they, who, who their staff or faculty, and they're they're voting for Biden. They're excited about it. They just had their first baby, um, who apparently. Uh, their baby should have a right to life in the womb, mm-hmm. but you know they're going to vote to deny that right to other babies. So, so go Selfish go figure things. that one. So, so um, and so, I, anyways, I'm saying all this to say I'm watching all of these people who say they love Jesus, who say they believe even in the inerrant, inerrancy of Scripture, mm-hmm. um, but that that has apparently that has no bearing mm-hmm. on their political actions. It's wild to me that these people can vote for a party that literally hates them. The Democratic Party hates Christians. They hate what they stand for. They try to make force Catholic nuns to fund abortion yeah. and birth control pills and, and health plans. Uh, and, and we know what they are due to creative professionals and Christian liberty of conscience who don't want to bake cakes for same-sex weddings. But they're saying we need to vote for these. They hate you. They hate Christians. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing voting for them? It's wild. So, yeah, these people read Psalm 139 to, to what you were just saying, Mariah, and they'll read these verses. They'll read about the prenatal 
John the Baptist doing backflips in the womb. Mm. They'll read about loving your neighbor. And then they'll say, that's actually why I'm voting for the Democratic Party. Mm. I'm sacrificing a million preborn mm. image bearers on the altar of improving quality of life outside the womb. Mm. So these people are not our friends. No. They're not the friends of, of, of the unborn. And you know what? The, I, man, do you ever wonder what Dietrich Bonhoeffer would have to say to the Americans <laughs> today? I, I wonder that a lot. Yeah. I mean, you've got Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Niemöller launching the Confessing Church. Why did they call it the Confessing Church, guys? Mm. To create a line of demarcation mm. between real faithful German Christians yep. and frauds, yep. false yep. prophets, yep. false teachers, false. wolves in sheep's clothing. Yep. That's why they called themselves the Confessing Church, yep. because they were tacitly saying – Y'all out there, the rest of you, whatever gospel you're confessing, it ain't the Christian gospel. I mean, that that was what they were communicating by calling themselves that. It's about dang time that churches like yours and Jack Hibbs and Rob McCoy's and so many others start calling ourselves the confessing church. Because whatever you guys are doing, that ain't the gospel. If you're saying that we can rip the arms off of pre-born image Mm. bearers in a womb that Christ once dwelled in because you need to support universal health care. Mm. and get rid of cages at the border that your beloved Barack Obama built in the first place that you never cared about, that those babies are sacrificial Mm. lambs on the altar of universal basic income and and, uh, women's equality, whatever that means, then you're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about time we begin saying that. And I think Christians do need to begin drawing that spiritual and political line in the sand. You cannot read your Bible, Mm. put yourself under the word of God, and seek to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and still maintain a pro-choice position or, or still maintain a personally pro-life position. (laughs) I'm personally pro-life. I I would never kill my own babies. Right. I can't tell you how many people I went to Westmont with who would never choose abortion for themselves. Right. So they, I would never slaughter my own child, but we shouldn't make it illegal to slaughter other people's children. Right. Imagine saying to your black brothers and sisters, let, let, let's put this in the BLM uh, contextual framework. OK, yep. imagine if I said, <laughs> my gosh, imagine if I said, black brothers and sisters, I love you. You're image bearers of God. You're so valuable to me. God loves you. But also we should keep lynchings mm. legal. Yeah. Yeah. I would be I would be written off as a racist <laughs> Bigot with no place in poli- polite society, yeah, right? Yeah. Because and, I, and Tim Keller would look me in the face and say, "That is from that is from that is from the devil. Pit of hell, yeah. That is from the, the pits of hell. Yeah. You cannot say you love your black brothers and neighbors and that they're created in the image of God, but support legislation that makes it legal to kill them. You can't say you love your neighbor, but that it should also be legal to kill your neighbor. Yep. Yeah. But that's exactly what these personally pro-life Christians are saying who say, I love Psalm 139. I have it stitched on my pillow in my bed <laughs> and I never abort my unborn children, yeah. but I'm voting for Biden because I shouldn't enforce my religious views on others. Yeah. You can't. And not tell your neighbor you love them, but that it should also be legal to kill them. Yeah. Pro-choice equals ageism yeah. because it says we can kill human beings because they're younger. Ageism, racism, none of these things have any place in a polite, civilized society built on the premises of natural rights. So that's what I would tell these people. Either you don't believe in the Bible or you selectively read it and then read in your pro-abortion bigotry into the Bible so that 
so that you can still have a comfortable, responsibility, sex-free lifestyle mm. so that you can still abort any children that might demand personal responsibility from you as their parent. Yeah. Yeah. I would, like I said, my, I was born in 62, and if my if abortion was legal, I'd be aborted. My mom yeah. had me at 17, 18, uh, just turned oh. 18, and she, with a guy I didn't, you know, was like 42, and, and so I would have been aborted if it, if it wasn't, if it was legal, and so... I mean, she even kind of thought about going to Mexico back then, but, uh, yep. you know, so, and I think Jack Hibbs, the same thing, he was supposed to be possibly aboard, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, He's but look at, I mean, what survived. God has done, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not saying I'm all that, but I'm just saying it's like, that's why I say about what we miss because I, I think that gives me a heart for this because I know what it's like to not be wanted, but yet to be loved by God. You Amen. know what I mean? So, it's and for cool. us too, like, that's what. I, I've seen with a lot of young women because at the church I'm like in charge of like the women's ministry and stuff and you see them coming out of the world and they're just taught like love yourself like you need to tell yourself you're all that and everything's about you and this feminism it's just that's what's ruining like I've had friends who were non-Christians and what they c go through and stuff like they defend animals more than babies <laughs> and that's what make that's, that's what's right. so scary and sick about it Wild. and so I would like for you to share because also i know that i really enjoy like the the sled the acronym for that so can you yeah, yeah, yeah. share a little bit about that because i know that i've shared that with a girl and she was like oh my goodness and so that's what helped change her so. yeah right yeah so i'll give you the the very yes. short case for life okay and this is the defense of the pro-life position without appealing to bible verses to make my case it's a rational scientific philosophical defense of the pro-life position because all truth is god's truth Amen. so if all truth is god's truth then i should i ought to be able to defend all aspects of god's truth with or without bible verses the laws of nature and nature's God, a recognition of the divine natural law written on the human heart, a recognition of that objective truth, even by those who hate God. So we ought to be able to defend God's truth with or without scripture. So here's that defense. The science of embryology teaches us that from the moment of conception, when sperm and egg meet, sperm and egg die, and that's a new human being. The science teaches us that that human is a distinct living and whole human being. It's distinct because the body in her body is not her body and pregnant women with pregnant boys don't have male genitalia. So it's separate. It's living because it's directing its own internal growth from within and dead things don't grow. Yeah. So it's developing itself. So it's obviously living and it meets all the requirements for a living thing that we learned in high school biology. And it's whole. A whole human being is a human being who has everything they need to realize the full growth and development as one of us. So wholeness doesn't mean functions. Wholeness doesn't mean development. Wholeness means it is within your nature as this kind of thing to realize all future aspects of your development. So we all find ourselves on a different tick mark on the continuum of human development, right? We're all somewhere on that continuum, but that continuum began at the moment of conception. Amen. Just like at 29, I'm not 40. And my wife recently found out that men don't reach their mental peak until they're 40. <laughs> and she was really, really encouraged. She's going to kill you before um, that, right? No, <laughs> exactly. So she's, she's really holding out hope for me, right? But there's aspects of my development I haven't realized yeah. yet. But that doesn't mean I'm not a whole human being mm -hmm. now. Think about the levels of development we have all realized mm -hmm. um, that eight-year-olds haven't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does that mean eight-year-olds are not whole human beings? No. no, right? So we come to possess different functions and capacities at different stages of our development. But when did we begin? The moment of conception. So the unborn child is not like a skin cell, no. which contains human DNA. 
they're a whole human being already at yeah. the moment of conception. Yes. So what is the unborn? They're a human being. But then our leftist friends tell us, or our progressive friends tell us, some of them Christians, that yes, the unborn is human. You're right, pro-life Christian. They're biologically human, but they're not a person. They don't have rights. And I go, okay, uh, hashtag bigotry, because that's what Nazis said about Jews yep. and racists said about black, exactly. that they were humans, but not persons. Anytime someone asks you that, for those listening to this, I want you to ask them, what's the difference between a human and a person? Mm. I want you to ask them, have you ever met a human that's not a person? <laughs> <laughs> because obviously the, the answer is no. So, so, And this is what the practitioners of genocide always do. They separate the term human from person in order to justify the mistreatment of human non-persons and convince the society in question that mistreating this class of subhumans is actually not that big of a deal because mm. they don't have rights of personhood. Dred Scott denied personhood to blacks, the Hiskevich in the German Supreme Court denied personhood to Jews, and in 1973, we denied personhood to unborn humans. But they were all humans in all three of those examples. Um, and so dehumanization is always an aspect of genocide. So they say it's a human but not a person. That's the first thing you say. But now I'm going to make a personhood argument. I'm going to make a value argument, an intrinsic dignity, human equality argument for the rights of the child. Okay, pro-choicer. Okay, woke Christian. Hmm. It's a human but not a person. Let me show you how by adopting those premises, you're actually putting in place the premises that would justify your own enslavement yep. because the unborn differs from us in the same ways that we differ from one another. Right. So the, the right for the equality of the child goes like this. There's actually no value giving difference between the unborn human that you once were and the born human that you are today that would justify killing you in the womb. Okay. And the only differences between fetuses and teenagers, between unborn people and born people, are summarized in the acronym SLED, size, level of development, environment, and dependency. Those are the only four differences between unborn people and born people. The unborn is smaller than us, less developed than us, located elsewhere in a womb, and more dependent than us. But we as born people differ according to our size, our level of development, our location, and the degree to which we're dependent on someone or something else. And so if those differences can be used to justify killing the unborn, why not use them to justify killing you? Because in each case, they're still human beings and the birth canal doesn't confer personhood, so the unborn is still equally human. So notice, in accepting the arguments to kill unborn humans, the pro-choice advocate has actually put in place the premises to justify killing them, because they differ from the unborn in the same ways that we differ from one another. And Abraham Lincoln made the same argument in his arguments against racists. He said to racists, he said, hey, hey, plantation owner racist, you say A is white and B is black. It is color then. The lighter having the right to enslave the darker will take care. By this rule, you are to be a slave to the first man you meet with a skin fairer than your own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then Lincoln says, oh, but you say it is a question of interest, right? He's responding to racists. You say it's a question of interest. And if he, if the white man can make it his interest to enslave the black man, then he can do so. Take care again. And if he can make it his interest to enslave you, he can do so. Oh, but you say it is a matter of intellect. The whites are intellectually the superiors of black and therefore have the right to enslave them. Take care again. By this rule, you're to be a slave to the first man you meet with an intellect superior to your own. So racists were making their arguments for personhood and the rights of blacks based on characteristics or functions that come in varying degrees because intellect comes in varying degrees, skin color comes in varying degrees, and our level of interest comes in varying degrees. 
So therefore, personhood and right to life come in varying degrees at yeah. that point. So human equality is destroyed. You can throw it out the window. And that's how the whole abortion pro-choice. thing started, right? Do the same With thing. Margaret Sanger. Yeah, pro-choice. Right? Yep. She wanted abortion right. because, yep. right, the origin of species or whatever. I forget what the full title of the book was. But basically, the darker skin you were, the less evolved you were, so we can get rid of it. And that's why more black people right. are aborted and in America. These are two fundamentally different visions of the world. One is the functionalist vision of the world. Um, and one is the endowment ver- uh, version of the world. So the functionalist worldview says that your value comes from your functions, right? Your capacities, what you can or cannot do, what good you can do for me or society, right? So pro-choicers say something like this. Well, the unborn child has no desires. Hmm. They don't have a desire to go on living. They're not aware of their own existence. And so they'll say something like this. If I haven't violated your desires, I haven't violated your rights or your right to life. But but then, if, but what if Buddhists reach nirvana and they've rid themselves of all <laughs> yeah. desires? If I kill them, have I not violated their rights? <laughs> what if a 17-year-old boy who's distraught because his girlfriend broke up with him doesn't have a desire to go on living and is suicidally, uh, you know, tendent? If I kill him, have I not violated his rights because he had yeah. no desires? Yeah is ridiculous, right? Um, and so that's that's one view of the world of, of, of persons is that your rights are based on your functions and capacities. We adopt the endowment um, view okay. of personhood, which is we're endowed with intrinsic dignity, value, and rights by our creator yeah. that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that government is instituted among men to protect these Amen. rights. So the only way to maintain this idea of equality for all humans, is to ground our rights in the only thing we have in common, which is what? A human nature. When did the human nature begin? The moment of conception. And if you try to say it's not the moment of conception, but it's sometime in the womb, you know, then you're going to put in place the premises that justify your own enslavement as well. Exactly. And you don't want to have to stand before God and say, oh, well, I just wasn't sure. So I love you use this example, like a mom, she's doing the dishes, and then her child behind her says, Uh mommy, can I kill this? And you would write, you would turn around and be like, kill what? Because if it was like his sister or that, you would say, no, you can't kill that. But, you know, if it was like a bug or something, you'd be like, okay, like, let's kill it. So that's where it's so crazy. It's like, we're just like, why would we flirt with that if they're just like, I'm not sure when it is or that, but let's just... Like, that's what makes me so sad with people. It's just like, they don't have the fear of God. And that's really what it is. No one has the fear of God that they're going to have to stand before God and be judged one day. They think, oh, well, I'll go to heaven, you know, very new age, even in the church. And so just knowing that we're going to have to stand before God and give an account. The sin of omission. You know, because people think like not voting. That's right. You don't realize omission, you know, what'd you do? You remember Jesus says, you did on least of me, you did the least of them. Yeah. He said, did, you know, when I was in prison, you visited me. What do we do? You know, the righteous said, what do we do? And then he tells. That's right. But, you know, so we have to remember the sin of. Well, go back to Keller, right? Go back to Tim Keller. That's the argument he makes in his New York Times Mm. piece. He's arguing that Christians in the 1850s were sinning through omission. Mm -hmm. Because they weren't using their political voice to protect our black brothers and sisters. But then these same people will say, it's not a sin of omission to refuse to vote to protect the unborn. It's not a sin of commission to vote for the party of genocide, of third trimester abortions and infanticide. Because we're just we're voting to improve quality of life outside the womb, and that's how we love our neighbor, right? To go back to your question, Mariah, about what does it mean to love your neighbor? Well, that's the greatest. That's the second greatest commandment in Scripture. In fact, those that is so important to Christ that what does He say in the New mm-hmm. Testament? All the law and the prophets hang on these mm-hmm. two: 
love God and love your neighbor. And then he later says, actually, loving neighbors is so important to me that whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. He like he goes further to explain how important it is to love your neighbor. You cannot love your neighbor while telling them that it should be legal to kill them. You cannot love your neighbor while voting for their dismemberment. And so you cannot say as a Christian that you believe the unborn is a human being and a neighbor. You cannot say that and vote for their slaughter, for their genocide, for the genocide of baby image bearers. Tim Keller is insinuating that God doesn't really care all that much about your vote. But I can guarantee you, brothers and sisters, that a vote which can end the genocide of baby image bearers is a vote God cares deeply about. And 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 think about this, like you're saying, that that women's choice. But if you do the premise, what you said, of love your neighbor, which you know means near one, there can't be anything closer to you, a near one, than a baby in your womb as a mother, right? Amen. Exactly. And also, actually, I recently found out that a hundred percent of unborn women are feminists. So I'm just voting to protect their reproduction. <laughs> exactly. That's good. I like that. Well that's back to what I was saying about the now of like you, you abort women remember in Beijing it's discriminated the national organization yeah. said, Oh of course we're just a fetus, but then in somehow in Beijing the international dateline changed it into discrimination against women when they abort because they want a male yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah. So it's just ridiculous. Yeah. That's right. And that's what I love about what you do and stuff. Just standing up for those who can't fight for themselves because it's not even just oh just the babies it's the moms too like i've had friends and stuff that i've known who've done it they always are contemplating suicide like so much regret and just the pain that goes that actually happens they think oh it's just so easy it doesn't really affect them it does and so i think we're thinking they're thinking oh you're just protecting the babies or whatever but it's like no we care about the mothers too like this affects them we know so many people from the church that so much guilt and shame just tormented for the rest of their life like it's just overwhelming and so that's where i love what you do it's not just because they always make fun of you you're just a, a white person and you're a male so yeah, either yeah, way we're not going to listen yeah, yeah. to you but it's like no yeah, right. you are standing up for truth yeah. like it says in proverbs 31 8 like we're supposed to do that and that's even right. my brother actually if he was in the uh the birth canal any longer he would have had cerebral palsy yeah. and so he would have been wow. a baby that would have been or in life normal life where they're like you have no value because you would do nothing yeah. and it's like no yeah. that's what makes me it's like that's if right. you just Amen. compromise on that issue then like you said, everything else. So we know we took a lot of your time, but is <laughs> no, there wonderful. anything else you I'll would like to share? I'll close with this. Yeah, I, I want to say this. The church needs to repent. Yes. The church needs to repent. Um, we are supposed to be the salt of the culture. Um, we're supposed to preserve something. And this is why most Christians ought to be conservatives. We actually want to conserve yeah. something. Um, you know, there is no argument today to be a Christian and be registered as a Democrat. <laughs> maybe there was, in, in the, I know that's a controversial statement. People are like, oh, that's so, that's so clear. That's that's so maybe, clear. Maybe in the 1950s, yeah. maybe in the 1960s, maybe even in the 1970s, because even though the Democratic Party began to adopt abortion, there were tons of pro-lifers in that mm-hmm. party. Not anymore, no. not yeah. anymore. And so um, the church needs to repent because um, we are complicit in this genocide, mm-hmm. um, either through the sin of omission or through the sin of commission, but there's even another level of complicity of the church. And, and it's this, had we faithfully been preaching the full counsel of God this whole time in the ecclesia, in the public square as the moral mm-hmm. compass of the culture, then we, our culture would have never reached the level of decay that it has such that there was a political opportunity to enshrine abortion on demand. The culture would look a whole lot healthier 
had we been functioning as the salt in the culture. But we abdicated that responsibility. We said politics, we said the gospel has no bearing on the political mm-hmm. life. We said politics is the only thing that we're not called to be stewards of or, or, um, or enter in as ambassadors for Christ and improve. Apparently that's the only area that Christians shouldn't be involved in. And we adopted that premise and it had a lot of consequences because the left, they jumped into the political sphere and they went, this is awesome. Let's build this baby up with people who agree with us and hold our political philosophy so we can shape the culture around our ideas. And now look at what's happened. Look at California, look at Washington, look at Oregon, look at Virginia, look at New York. It's unbelievable what is happening because Christians abdicated their responsibility if de Tocqueville was here today, yeah. his phrase about America would be very yeah. different. It would not be the fires in the pulpits ablaze with the gospel. It would be the fires of burning buildings lit up by mm-hmm. woke leftists who hate America and want to burn it to the ground because we were not in the public square contending for truth and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to broken people who are filling their the hole in their heart with everything but Christ and are becoming more broken and angry the whole time. So that's even a whole other level of the complicity yeah. of the church was our abdication of that duty. And so the culture began to decay and yeah. fall apart. If you want to know how God feels about abortion, it's how he feels about child sacrifice. Yes. If you want to know what God would say to his church in America on the issue of abortion is what he told the Israelites in the Old Testament on child yeah. sacrifice, where he says, if any of you have anything to do with this or look the other way, when someone gives their son or daughter to Molech, basically I, that person is going to be removed from the people. Um, and 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 then he says, regarding the Israelites' complicity with the Canaanites and sacrificing their babies to Molech on his burning bronze hand that were heated up hot while baby's mm-hmm. flesh was burned off their body, he said, it never entered my mm-hmm. mind that you yeah. would do this. I never now, did, does either, God so. actually mean that? No, of course God doesn't mean that. He knew exactly what they were going to do. He's using language to communicate how atrocious what they were doing was. You've got the creator of the universe saying, it never entered my mm-hmm. mind that you would do this to babies created in my mm-hmm. image. God takes child sacrifice very seriously. And, and then he goes through, I think it's in Jeremiah, and he starts to describe what's going to happen yeah. to the people. Mm-hmm. Um, for what they've done. And it's not a pretty picture. And if we would simply read that and and wake up these pastors and churches and wake up and realize that that's us, that's God's words to us today on our complicity in our form of child sacrifice, then, then that ought to lead to repentance. Amen. And Amen. there's a beautiful promise in scripture, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves admit that you were wrong. You were wrong to say that the gospel should have no bearing on politics. You were wrong to say, I won't preach on abortion because I don't want to offend the post-abortive women. That you were wrong to say, I'm not going to preach on abortion because I don't want the pagan who's visiting the church to be turned away and not hear the gospel because I preached a political message. You need to humble yourself and admit that you were wrong to say that. And you were wrong to be a still silent shepherd on the abortion of the lambs and then repent and turn from your wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sins and I will heal our land. Jack Hibbs and I were just talking about this the other day on real life. We, and Jack Hibbs made an incredible comment. He said, if we can turn away from this sin and we can end the genocide of baby image bearers, this might be the one thing that restores the soul of the country and God might have mercy on this country. If we were to turn from our wicked ways of sacrificing our children on the pagan idols and uh, uh, the pagan idols of convenience, money, family, and career well-being, yep. God might have mercy Amen. on this land and spare. Amen. And so the, the shepherds need to repent. Yeah. 
and they need to turn with 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 trembling knees Amen. to Amen. God and, and repent for their complicity on abortion and pray that he will have mercy on this Amen. land. I agree with that. I think like why we've lasted so long, despite all our sin, is because of uh, what Trump's done with Israel and love for Israel. That gives us a lot of, I believe, grace from God. But if we could, like you said, do that, it'd be amazing. I love what one pastor said. The problem with pastors today is they're evangelifish yeah. and we, they have no spine yeah. and we need to get that back. Sure. And I thank God for young men like you that have a heart. Because I think too, like you're saying, is like think if there's national health care we run out of money what are they gonna do with old people like me they're gonna say yeah. do you really need that hip replacement i mean come on you're really worthless you're kind of the right. end. you know just yeah. go fade away yeah. you know. that's no joke that oh, will yeah. happen it just keeps coming because we that's we what we were just talking yeah. to someone else and because we've the church has been like you can be a homosexual christian even though it specifically says first corinthians 6 it talks about like homosexuals, adulterers, fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now pedophiles are saying, oh, I can't help yeah, it. You know, talk. It just keeps going and it doesn't stop. And yeah. then one other thing I was, I just want to share this even for the women is that even if you mess up, because I know even women in the church, they're getting abortion mm -hmm. stuff because right. they're so embarrassed because they had sex out of sight outside of marriage, they fornicated, right? That was a sin. But instead of just humbling themselves and being honest, mm. they have to go, you know, take plan B or an abortion and think that's okay because they don't want to be humble and broken because, you know, they have to look perfect. Girls have to be perfect. We're princesses and that mm. we can do no wrong instead of humbling ourselves. And that's why I always tell women, and this actually, this one girl, she was like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize this. I'm like, Satan doesn't create babies. God does. So even mm. Romans sure. 8, 28, in the midst of that sin, God works all things together for the good. So mm. Satan did not make that baby. God did, even out of that sin. And so even in the case of rape, even, like I know that's a big thing that women always tell me, well, what if this or what if that? First of all, it's a small percentage, but Half exactly. Even if, let's just say I've heard stories of people, Um, it was with Living Waters and Ray Comfort in this story. And she was about yeah. to because she had gotten raped, but she says she couldn't imagine if she didn't have that baby. And they always say, well, you could see the face of that person who raped you or whatever. She said, no, I see the face of God mm. because that's an image. And right. so it was just, it made me cry and it was so beautiful. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, we want you to share it. Last thing is okay. where can people find your resources and what would you speak? Obviously vote. We always say vote for Trump. Like I know we're <laughs> like, oh, we don't care. Vote you. It's yeah, clear. Yeah, yeah. We made it clear vote. And then, Pray, but what are some other things you would encourage our listeners to do? Yeah, if people are listening to this before the election, I want them to take personal responsibility to get 10 people to the polls yes. uh, to vote for life. Make sure that your neighbors, your friends, your family members, those who are on the fence, maybe they say they're pro-life, but they're kind of like, eh, but, you know, Trump's really nasty and I don't <laughs> want to compromise my Christianity. Persuade them, get them to listen to this, send them to my podcast, Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Listen and persuade them to go to the polls and vote for life. We need... Um, we need to get pe the people who are predisposed to defend life because they believe that children are created in the image of God to act on those beliefs and vote in such a way that re that promotes righteousness and restrains evil. Um, and secondly, you know, equip yourself to defend life. You know, I know that you're not going to remember everything that you hear in a in a long sort of fire hose <laughs> of content episode like this. But equip yourself to defend life. You know, so I guess subscribe to my podcast, Unaborted with Seth Gruber, wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can watch it on YouTube. Um, you know, read books on life, how to defend life. Go to SethGruber.com, yeah. go to my website and subscribe to my newsletter and get regular stuff multiple times a week on how to defend life and what's going
going on in the culture? How do we respond? What's the Christian worldview response to this? Um, take that time to pour into yourself and develop yourself to defend life. Um, thirdly, adopt personal responsibility to end this evil. Mm. Um, launch a pro-life ministry at your church. Yeah. Um, if there's not one already, whether it's Calvary Oro or whether it's a different church, if you're just tuning into this, launch a pro-life ministry at your church uh, and then go to my friend's website, Love Life. Love Life mm-hmm. is out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and they exist to disciple, train, equip individual Christians in local communities in their churches to launch effective pro-life initiative ministries at their churches and then put a Christian witness outside every abortion clinic in the country. And then you can tune into digital prayer and worship sessions live with other Christians around the country outside their local abortion clinics at the same time and pray and worship together to shut down those Mm -hmm. clinics. Stand outside of the doors of death holding signs saying, we'll adopt your baby. Obviously know that your pastor here is going to be behind any effort like that. I'm telling you, my friends at Love Life, are, are there, that I team up with them and they say, we're ready to train more people and get a Christian witness outside every abortion clinic. You want to do that. Go to Love Life, fill out their action form, and they're going to reach out to you. So take personal responsibility. And lastly, put your money where your Amen. mouth is. Support pro-life organizations. It's a scandal. It's one of the biggest scandals on the church today that pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers are underfunded yeah. and understaffed. That's a scandal. And these mega churches, they give billions to poverty relief and to international missions, can't spare a couple thousand bucks a month or a year to support women and men fighting in the ditches on the front lines trying, trying to stop the genocide of baby image bearers. And these pregnancy research centers are saying, please, churches, support us. Sorry, we're not political. That's a scandal. So churches and individual Christians ought to be supporting pregnancy resource centers or the local pro-life organization. And then if you want to support me to do this type mm-hmm. of speaking to young people all around the country, again, you can just go to my website, sethgruber.com, to get more resources. Amen. So those are our, that's our call to action. Amen. Well, we're so blessed and encouraged to have you. And yeah, I just watched your podcast. Sorry, I just went on YouTube, Unaborted. And just the even the quick like two-minute videos, just so helpful and just with everything. But we're blessed. And would Definitely. you like to pray for us before? For the people. Thank sure. Thank yeah, you so amen. much. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the faithfulness and obedience of Calvary, um, so many of the Calvary chapels, um, and pray that you would wake up the other ones um, that are sleeping and not responding to the call to duty to gird up their loins and and to defend life and enter the battlefield of culture and promote righteousness and preach your gospel and uh, defend the lives of innocent babies. But thank you for their obedience and so many more. Thank you that we're seeing an awakening. Pray that you would prick the collective conscience of the American church on the abortion of the lambs and wake them up and convict them um, and not leave them alone until they're broken and burdened by this atrocity and they act on it. Bless everyone listening to this that will tune in, um, that they would be blessed, encouraged, and equipped to engage the culture on behalf of those who cannot. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to today's conversation with Pastor Craig Roders and his daughter Mariah from Calvary Oro Valley in Tucson, Arizona. I hope this episode was helpful for you. Please share this with someone you know, particularly those in your church or your pastor or your youth pastor, and maybe those who haven't really done anything on this issue or spoken out against it. Uh, Listen to this and pray that it would encourage them and maybe convict them to stand in the gap. If you want to learn more about my ministry or reach out to me, go to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com to sign up for my newsletter. 
newsletter to get free resources delivered to your inbox to see my speaking schedule, which is going to begin taking off already in January and February of 2021. If you want to book me at a school, a youth group, or a church, you can reach out to me through my website as well. Uh, we're going we're gonna to really stack 2021, and I feel like this is really going to be a huge year for the pro-life movement in the church to get involved in protecting life. So please do that for us. If you want to support my ministry, you can also do that through my website. Help us reach more people, expand our impact and ministry online. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.